Well, I would invite you, if you'd like, uh, to turn to John chapter 14. Uh, you can do that on your phone or on your tablet, or if you have one of those Bibles that still has paper in it, you can use that. Or you can use one of the Bibles that's in the pews in front of you. I'll be referring to that passage that Travis just read for us uh, throughout the morning. It is a privilege uh, to be able to come and to preach the Word to you on the first day of 2017. Anybody who has preached here in recent days would also probably remind me that it is a privilege to preach to you today because I only preached to you one time and not three. My prayer for us over the past few weeks has been that, that we would see Jesus, that we would discover him, we would experience him again this morning. And so if you would, let's just take a moment to pray that together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us today. And all of God's people said, amen. If you know this chorus, I want you to sing it with me. Can we do that? Taking a risk here, putting myself out there. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Now maybe some of you didn't know that one. So we'll go back a little bit further, and you can help me with this one. Are you ready? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. You guys are pretty good. Today is the eighth day of Christmas, and we have something a lot better to celebrate than eight maids milking. Today, we get to celebrate the holy and powerful name of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, Luke makes a point to, to remind us, to show us that Mary and Joseph took the baby to be circumcised and to be named on the eighth day after his birth. Now, the circumcision was a Jewish custom, a Jewish ritual that, that reminded them of the covenant between Yahweh and his people the covenant between God and the descendants of Abraham, that they would be 
united that God would be their God and they would be his people and that all of the nations of the world would be blessed through them. Luke doesn't tell us this on accident. And then he reminds us that Mary and Joseph gave him the name Jesus, the name that the angel had told both Joseph and Mary to give him, a name which means God saves And when the angel came to Joseph in Matthew chapter one, he said, name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And so eight days after the birth of Jesus, we get to once again, look back and remember that we serve the one who will save his people. And oftentimes, that our, our hymnals and our worship sets are full of songs that lift up the name of Jesus. We praise him. We talk about how his name is more powerful than any other name, that it's powerful enough to break any chains that may hold us or bind us. And in the, and in the safety and confines of this place, when we're surrounded with our brothers and sisters, we can throw our head back, raise our hands, and thank Jesus for his power and his freedom and his might in our lives. But every now and then, I have to wonder, if we walk out the doors and we start to head home, and that doubt starts to creep in. And we look at the chains of addiction and pain and and hurt, past sins, and we ask, Is the name of Jesus really powerful enough to set me free of these things that hold me captive? And we look at the stench that is the lives of those people, some of those people that we love, and we ask ourselves, is the name of Jesus a fragrant aroma in the stench of that life? And then we look at a passage like John chapter 14 that Travis read to us this morning, especially verses 12, 13, and 14. Did any of you have a a visceral reaction when he read this to you? Every time I come across it, I get a little uneasy. As Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do what? The same works I have done and even greater works. He says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, some of you might read that and you go, amen, praise the Lord. Call it a day, we're going home, preacher. But for some of the rest of us, we go, Did he mean that? That we're going to do even greater works than he has done? That we can ask for anything in his name and he'll do it? Let me propose to you this. I think what Jesus is doing here is he is inviting us to become his name bearers to represent him in the world, to speak and to act in his name and in his power. 
not in our own, but in his. And we can do it with boldness and confidence, but we don't do it lightly. What would it be like if I left this place and I started walking around town making all kinds of outrageous statements in your name? In the name of Sia, I say, she might call me out. And so I think Jesus gives us a glimpse in this passage of what it means to be his name bearer in the world. What it means to act and work and serve in his strength and in his power. And I think it starts in verse 9. When he looks at Philip, one of his disciples, one of these guys who's been walking around with him for, for a number of years, he looks Philip in the eye, and what does he ask him? Do you still not know who I am? Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'll look at Jesus' relationship with his disciples, and he'll, he'll ask them a question like this, or Peter will do something dumb, because Peter does that. And we just throw our hands up and we go, you guys were with the Messiah for years and you still don't get him. You still don't understand who he is. Jesus looks right at Philip and he says, do you still not know me? And as I was preparing for this, and as I was praying through this particular section, I was reminded of the fact that I grew up in church like some of you in this room, if I was born on a Saturday night, my parents probably would have had me at church on Sunday morning. And then again on Sunday night. And then on Wednesday night. And then probably at a revival all week long the next week. And then at a song service after the Sunday morning service and before the Sunday night service. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I, I was in church a lot. I read the Bible a lot. I knew what was in there. When I was 17, you didn't want to challenge me in a Bible trivia contest because I would kill you. I don't care what New Testament class you teach. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. <clears throat> but about 10 years ago, I was reading through the Gospels again, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And I realized that this Jesus that I was seeing, this Jesus that I was observing in the Gospels was not the Jesus that I thought I knew. The Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Eric, do you still not know me? And I began to watch how he talked to the prostitute and the thief. How he began to treat the marginalized, the sick, the prisoner. And I thought, that's not the Jesus I had constructed in my own mind. And so one of the things that we have got to come to understand, if we are going to be name bearers, 
of Jesus is that as we enter his scripture, we are seeking to know who he is. We're not looking to bolster our argument. We're not looking to learn more stuff. We're not looking to dissect the scriptures like it's a science experiment. We are entering the scriptures to know who we serve. And so on this first day of January, as you break out that one-year Bible and you dust it off again, don't enter into it pulling yourself up by your bootstraps saying, I'm going to power through it this year. I really am. Open the Gospels and ask the Holy Spirit to show you who this Jesus is. We get to know Jesus through his scripture, but we also get to know him through prayer. How's your prayer life? Are we honest with God when we pray? Do we open up our heart and our soul? Do we celebrate with him? Do we express our frustrations and our confusion? Have you read the Psalms lately? These are the prayers of the people of God and they are raw and vulnerable. They put themselves out there and they say, how long, O Lord? Will you leave us like this? And they'll praise God with their whole hearts. And they'll say, though I'm hurting today, I'll still trust you. And then once we have spoken to God, do we take the time to shut up? Do you take the time in conversation with God to listen? I wonder how many of us talk to God like that, that guy. You know him who he's thinking about the next thing he's going to say while you're talking. You ever talk to that person? That's how a lot of us pray. We just keep talking and talking and talking, and we never stop long enough to let God respond, to hear back from him. <laughs> I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Are we taking a Sabbath? Are we pausing from our own importance, from our own labor, from our own to-do list to stop and trust God and say, God, today I am going to give you an entire day of my time as an act of worship, as a way to rest in you as a way to hope and to trust and to spend quality time with you? Are we practicing 
the Sabbath? Are we leaning in to these means of grace? You see, here's the danger for all of us holiness folks, is that, is that we, we, want to, we want the checklist, don't we? We want to know that if I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, I'm going to get there. But God is calling us to lean into these means of grace. He is the one that does the work in our lives. He is the one who moves and changes us, who calls us and transforms us. We can't do it on our own. <laughs> Thomas Merton puts it this way. He says, in a sense, God cannot be remembered. He can only be discovered. God cannot be remembered. He can only be discovered. Let me reframe that for you. If you are trying to sustain your marriage on one good date you had a number of years ago, your marriage is in trouble. Can I just put that out there? If you're trying to sustain your relationship with God, with an experience you had at camp meeting years and years ago, your relationship with God might be in trouble. If you're trying to sustain your relationship with God on a sermon you heard preached, one, a few months ago, your relationship might be in trouble. Relationship is a constant nurturing, and God is calling us to lean in, to know him better, to experience him on a daily basis, to discover him new and afresh. Guess what? You don't know God yet. Not completely. And he's calling us to know him more and more and more each and every day. We get to know Jesus. <laughs> and then he says something in verse 15. If you love me, because as we get to know Jesus, what's going to happen? We're going to grow to love him. If you love me, what? Obey my commandments. Keep my commandments. As we get to know Jesus more and more, the Holy Spirit is going to continually point it to, is going to continue to point things out in your life. Little steps of obedience that you need to take. Some of those steps are going to be huge. Some of those steps are going to be small. And let me set you free of something. The steps he's asking you to take might not be the same steps he's asking the person next to you to take. So stop trying to tell them that your steps are supposed to be their steps. Can we just agree on that? When you get to know God, God is going to show you the next steps of obedience that you need to take. And you take them in faith. You take them in his grace. You may not know how it's going to work out. But you take it in faith. And as you get to know God more and more and more, you begin to read the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read that lately? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You begin to read the Sermon on the Mount. And it strikes you that he really actually wants me to forgive the people who have wronged me. That he wants me to value marriage and to respect people of the opposite gender. He really wants that. He really wants you to love your enemies. Well, that's where I draw the line. He really wants you to care for the orphan, the elderly, the poor, the prisoner, 
and the immigrant. He wants us to be generous and to stop worrying about accumulating more and more and more. As we get to know him, we see that these are things that he is actually calling us to do. And as he points these things out in your life, you take those small steps of obedience. But here's what struck me through this whole passage. Is that the more we begin to know him, the more we see the steps of obedience that we need to take. And the more that we take those steps of obedience, the more we get to know him. And there's this dance between knowing and loving and obedience. And they just keep feeding each other and we become name bearers of Jesus Christ. God begin to, begins to do a work in us, begins to fill us with his grace so that we can be his name bearers in all the world. Did you know you can't know God as well as you want to until you know his people who are marginalized? Did you know that you can't know God as well as you want to unless you have taken small steps of obedience that require faith and you see God provide, you see God's power, you see him come through in a difficult time? It's through those steps of obedience that we begin to know him better and love him more. And as we know him better and love him more, we take more and more steps of obedience and his grace works in us and through us to lead us to be his image, his name bearers. If we are going to be his name bearers, he's calling us to be like him. As we begin to obey God, we begin to see that he doesn't call us to obedience because he wants to pull our strings and move us around like a puppet master. He calls us to obedience because that is what he is like. We begin to see who he is. He doesn't just call us to live the Sermon on the Mount. He lived it himself. And Paul reminds us of what it means to be an image bearer of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 in this beautiful hymn that he writes, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross Jesus didn't just serve, he became a servant. You see the difference? If I just serve, I stay in control of things. I serve you when I want, when it's convenient, when I have time. 
If I become a servant of the almighty God, I bend to his will. I go where he calls me and I go, I do it when he tells me to do it. And Jesus took on the nature of a servant and is calling us to do the same. The more we know him, the more we want to obey him. And the more we obey him, the better we love him. Now I, wanna, I want us to end this morning kind of where we began. And I want to give you this bit of encouragement. Sometimes we look at our life and those things that keep us tied up and we think, if I just do better, if I just work harder, maybe I can get out of it. Or we look at the life of those, those lives of those people around us and we say, if I just do more, I can help them get out of the mess that they're in. And we, we try to call on the name of Jesus, but really what we're doing is we're working hard and just kind of throwing his name on top of it. What Jesus is calling us to, what he's saying here, is that I'm asking you to know me and I'm asking you to take steps of obedience and leave the outcome to me. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. But look at this. This next section in this hymn is what J.D. Walt and Matt Leroy, they call it the great reversal, right? Jesus has come down. He has put aside his godliness and he's taken on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we bear the name of Jesus, we don't have to do the work. We serve him. We act in obedience and we leave the outcome to the name that is above every other name. That at his name, every knee would, would bow. Nothing has power over him. We serve him with confidence and hope and we worship him. And we live in his power as his name bearers. And our response this morning is just gonna be to stand and to worship and to praise the name that is mighty to save. Let's stand together and sing.